Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. When was the last time I took a road trip? How many national parks could I hit in two weeks? What about hotels? Wait, hey Erica, how much am I spending on travel? When your questions about life turn into questions about money, there's Erica, the virtual financial assistant to help you spend, save, and plan smarter. Only from Bank of America. What would you like the power to do? Erica is only available in the English language. You must download the latest version of the mobile banking app, only available on select mobile devices. Your chat may be recorded and monitored for quality assurance. Message and data rates and additional terms may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And welcome to The Rest is Money with me, Steph McGovern. And me, Robert Peston. This is an emergency podcast. You could call it an emergency trim because our Prime Minister has made some big statements yesterday that we want to talk about. And I know, Robert, you were there for all the action and slightly drenched, weren't you, for what I've heard? <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, it was an exhausting and busy day. And the only time I had time out was I was cycling over the House of Commons to prepare for the Prime Minister's press conference in Downing Street. And then the heavens opened. I got completely soaked. So more or less the next hour, I was sort of running around the House of Commons trying to find some kind of hairdryer so I could look semi-respectable <laughs> by the time. I mean, this, a hairdryer for my suit, not, not for my hair, because I was wearing, of course, a listener's a cycling helmet. Um, this is a big moment. I mean, I think you know, in terms of sort of a shift of government direction as it relates to you know one of the greatest challenges of our time, climate change, you know, these announcements don't come much bigger. Yeah. So in short, Rishi Sunak has watered down the policies designed to meet our 2050 net zero target. And just a reminder on that, the aim of net zero is for the UK to take out of the atmosphere as many greenhouse gas emissions as it puts in. And there've been over the years, lots of commitments made to do that. And then yesterday, Rishi started running back on them. Things to do with, you know, the vehicles we drive, how we heat our homes. So... It included a ban on the sale of new petrol and diesel cars was originally set for 2030. That's now been moved to 2035. He also watered down a plan to scrap gas boilers. Now, originally there was a ban on the sale of new ones by 2035. There's now going to be an exemption for poorer households. That works out at about a fifth of households then. So things around that. He also pledged to scrap policies that would force landlords to upgrade their energy efficiency in their homes. And then there were some really curious ones thrown in there, weren't there? Like scrapping people being made to share cars, this idea of tax on around eating meat and dairy, plans around flying. And then the one I know you were talking on about your show last night, this, the seven bins to help recycling. Although no one can ever 
never remember or find any evidence that any of these things were policy in the first place. But Robbie, you were at this announcement when you're at the speech. Tell us what the atmosphere was like in it, because it's making the headlines. Well, it's always a bit weird ahead of one of these big announcements. I mean, believe it or not, more or less whenever a prime minister summons us to Downing Street, people start chattering. Is there going to be a general election? Is that what it's about? I mean, I, I kid you, I can literally kid you not, right? And um, it was a bit unusual. And it shows you, I think, the extent to which uh, Richie Sunak didn't feel completely confident about this because there were two rows of reserve chairs for senior ministers. He definitely wanted to show to the assembled press that the relevant ministers in business and climate change and energy were behind him. And, you know, they all (laughs) dutifully clapped at the relevant bits. Um, As I say, when ministers are sort of forced to turn up, it sort of shows you that this, as far as the prime minister is concerned, is a big deal. And he's not one that he's 100% confident about because, of course, his party is split on this. There are lots of people who think of themselves as in the centre of the party who uh, don't like what he's done. And, you know, he's not confident that he's got the backing of his parliamentary party. Yeah, it was a bit of a nightmare, the leak as well. Now, I uh, am of the assumption that normally leaks are pretty planned, but this one didn't seem to help him, did it? Because it was very much focused on the negatives or the headlines and it missed things like the increased grants. It was focused on all the delays which made those for whom you know combating climate change is absolutely the top priority it made them all very very angry indeed so you know you never know with leaks of this sort how much they're managed by the centre and how much it's an accident but you're right that I think it set the conditions for him that were difficult. Yeah so uh, Sunak's still saying we're going to hit this 2050 net zero target but I know you you had some research on your show, didn't you, which um, suggests we were already off course and this is going to push us even further. Yeah, we did have authoritative re- research. And, and as you say, we were already, you know, we have commitments. They're legally binding commitments to hit certain milestones in terms of carbon reductions in five-year periods. And where we were already fairly significantly off course for uh, in, in terms of hitting our commitments for the period 2033 to 2038. And that's actually according to the official Climate Change Committee. So this is the body that advises the government, and you don't get there for more authoritative data than that. But we asked an expert to update on the basis of Rishi Sunak's new policies. And completely unsurprisingly, he now says that we would miss the target by even more. So it's challenging to accept Rishi Sunak's you know, seemingly confident assertions that A, he's completely committed to hitting net zero by 2050, and B, that we will. Uh, He has, in a sense, yesterday also created a slight rod for his own back there because he said that the legal system for keeping us on course, he wanted us all to take more seriously. Uh, He said, so for example, the so-called carbon budget, which are measures to reduce carbon emissions, is supposed to be debated by Parliament. And he was very critical of the fact that these debates normally take about 15 minutes and he wants proper debates like a proper budget. So in terms of what you might call the institutional mechanisms, he wants greater pressure on governments to resume carbon emissions. He's just not announcing anything that's going to get us to net zero at the moment. He's actually making it harder. You'll have noticed, Steph, the extent to which 
big business and indeed small business is deeply concerned about what he announced. Yeah, it is because it's that word that business hates, which is uncertainty. And, you know, straight away, Make UK, who I do a, a lot of work with, it represents British manufacturers. They were saying, you know, this watering down of the targets is a huge setback for manufacturers who need in these times stability and confidence in order to invest. And similarly, you know, the car industry, particularly hit by this, Ford was straight out of the blocks to kick off about it, weren't they? with the chair, Lisa Branken, saying that the business needs three things, ambition, commitment and consistency from the government. And, you know, this relaxation would undermine all three of these things. And that's the big issue now, isn't it? It's If this target's been moved, that's going to change how consumers think about buying electric vehicles. Because if you're now not being made to have to buy an electric vehicle from 2030, then you're probably not going to, are you? Unless the price comes down considerably. And there's obviously all the, the issues around supply of the vehicles as well. Are we going to see people kind of relax their investment in terms of making the vehicles? So that there's so much now uncertainty, which is going to make it very difficult for the car industry to plan what they're doing and think about investments. I mean, that is totally right. I mean, you know, in my question to the Prime Minister during the press conference, I mean, I pointed out to him that when he became Prime Minister, he said his overwhelming priority was to bring back stability um, to economic policymaking in the UK. Uh, you know, we talked on our uh, normal podcast yesterday about the incredible instability introduced by Liz Truss's mini budget. And he, you know, branded himself as Mr. You know what you get with me. I'm going to plan for the long term and I'm going to stick to it. And, you know, I said to him in, in my question, as, as he knows, because this is the stuff that he's been immersed in, somebody worked in the city for years, he knows that, one, there's been far too little investment in the UK over years, indeed decades. A lot of that lack of investment is due to economic and industrial policy instability. And the price that we all pay as a result of this lack of investment is lower economic growth, lower productivity, lower living standards. Um, you know, I said to him, you know, we had these world leading targets for phasing out petrol and diesel cars. The industry liked it because it could see that we were taking steps to create a significantly larger indigenous UK market for these vehicles earlier than other countries. And that was a reason why they might want to locate, whether it's battery manufacturing here or vehicle manufacturing here. And once you just become another member of the pack. And he kept saying, but, you know, all I'm doing, he kept saying, is shifting our targets for phasing out petrol and diesel cars to the same ones they have in the European Union and the same ones they have in California and New York. He kept saying, but all I'm doing is joining the pack. But the point about joining the pack is at that point, you no longer have a competitive advantage. You're no longer leading the way. Yeah, you become average. Now, we should point out that you know, Jaguar Land Rover, owned by the, the Indian giant Tata, has said, and this is not, you know, this is not an unreasonable point, that it was very challenging to meet the 2030 target. There are concerns that we haven't got enough vehicle charging points. And it, it was more positive about what Rishi Sunak had to say than, you know, Ford had been. So the industry isn't completely united on this. It has to be said, Tato, as we know, has just taken quite a big subsidy, hasn't it, uh, for, um, uh, you know, from the government, which is always nice for a business to get a nice big subsidy from the government. I think as well. 
well that Toyota were pretty relieved. Although it just made me question that's just purely because they're behind on all of this. Well, they, 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 they tend to focus on hybrids, don't they? Yeah, exactly, rather than fully electric. But it's interesting, though, this morning, hearing that the, the sales targets are still going to have to be met by the manufacturers. So they've still, despite this ban being extended now, it's now going to be 2035, they've still got to do 22% of their sales of electric vehicles next year in 2024. And they've still got to have 80% by 2030, but as I was suggesting earlier, are people actually going to buy them if they know there's not a ban for another five years after that? So they're now dealing with that issue of how are they going to sell this to consumers? It's going to be tricky for them to meet the targets. I mean, I think that the problem for this industry is that what Rishi Sunak effectively did was essentially the worst kind of marketing that you could possibly do for the new generation of vehicles. Because his whole pitch was, these electric vehicles are expensive, and that's why I am protecting struggling households. And you know, he's setting up this big argument with Labour at the general election. But the problem with doing that is it puts people off making the, the change and it takes away from an argument that all experts say and is patently correct, which is that if you look at the cost of an electric vehicle over the lifetime of the vehicle and you take into account in particular the cost of the fuel, in this case, electricity versus petrol, the electric vehicle will end up cheaper. But, you know, of course, that argument simply won't cut through anymore. I know, which is my beef on this because it puts green up against cheap, doesn't it? It's like cheap versus green all the time rather than actually showing that in the long term, this will be cheaper for people. It's the same with how you heat your home as well, not just the cars we're driving. And yeah, there's always that initial outlay of cost. And, you know, we've heard about the subsidy for heat pumps in particular being increased from five grand to seven and a half grand if you want to do that. Although there are still shed loads more costs on top. Which most people in the industry would say is a really good thing. Yeah, you know, more exactly. financial help for heat pumps, a bit more carrot, less stick. I mean, anybody who believes in converting to greener heating, that's a good thing. It's interesting on heat pumps though, because I, I was looking into this and if you look at how many heat pumps we're selling compared to other countries, it's totally dismal. So it was something like we sold 55,000 heat pumps last year compared to France selling 621,000. There is a huge difference. And one of the things that you may have noticed is you know, we've got lots of uh, sort of lobby groups who have been campaigning against heat pumps and uh, somehow saying that what were already pretty soft targets for getting rid of gas boilers were in themselves already too onerous. But look at Germany, right? Germany w had been proposing a law to basically get rid of gas boilers by the beginning of next year. There was a huge row and they've now got a target of 2028, which is a pretty hard target and is not very far away. Rishi Sunak yesterday said that for at least 20% of British homes, they will never be forced to get rid of their gas boilers. So we're, we're really rowing back on, on this. And we're also, again, taking away, I mean, I've been talking to manufacturers and some experts on this. Some of the manufacturers hate doing heat pumps, and they've actually been involved in very negative lobbying about it. There are other manufacturers who recognize that the technology now for heat pumps has improved by leaps and bounds. They are now suitable for most homes. The government's own assessment 
says that. But again, Rishi Sunak, in, in what he said yesterday, was broadly implying that this is expensive technology that doesn't work very well. And that, that's also bad for British manufacturing. We don't do enough manufacturing in general in this country. We want to encourage uh, manufacturers to, do, to make more heat pumps. Some have been investing. I noticed a big investment by Ideal in Hull, I think, uh, recently. But we want more of that. And it's not just one technology that's the solution either, is it? It's not just heat pumps. Like There are companies out there who make zero emission boilers. So they charge up using electricity when electricity is cheap and you know when it's the cleanest on the grid. And then they heat your home through a boiler method. So it's not just heat pumps as well. And that's the interesting thing with this. The other thing that worries me on, on all of this is what it means for jobs and skills. And I know that we had a, a question in about this when we was, we said we were going to do this podcast and Michael Cross had asked, what about the skills and manpower implications of the politically motivated net zero rollback announcement there? They're his words there in that message. But that's a really important point, isn't it? Because you mentioned uh, Tata and of course they're going to build this flagship electric car battery factory in Somerset. With the benefit of a massive sub. Yeah, with the benefit of a massive subsidy. The aim of that was to have it up and running by 2026. You know, it's expected to create 4,000 UK jobs. And then, of course, a lot more in the wider supply chain. But there's a question now about, is that still going to happen if there's not the demand for the batteries because this target's been moved and the sales aren't happening in the way they thought they were going to? Is that going to hold that back? Of course, as well, we mentioned in heat pumps, that's another industry that uh, it's been predicted could create 50,000 jobs if it's rolled out properly and we actually hit these targets that were meant to be hitting around transitioning from gas boilers. And you just worry that everything will be put back and then we won't be giving people the right skills because the jobs won't be as near to them as they had been. And all of this is a worry. I mean, we've got to re-engineer the British economy. One of the things that slightly drives me nuts the whole time is the way that ministers, I had one on my show last night, the Justice Secretary, Alex Chalk, keeps saying, well, since 1990, we've reduced emissions more than other countries. And that allows us now to take a so-called more measured approach to the next phase of reducing emissions. The one thing, and I did point this out to him, some of that reduction in emissions is government policy. Some of it was simply that our manufacturing was wiped out. And closing the coal mines, yeah. Basically, so much of our manufacturing went to China. We, we de-industrialized more than Germany, more than France. And that de-industrialization and, and, and the transformation of the UK into a service economy, some of that good, some of it bad in terms of high quality jobs. You know, that's one of the reasons why we emit less CO2. And it's in the round that's been bad for the UK, that deindustrialization. So, you know, the government shouldn't go around simply taking credit for these CO2 emissions. Not all of it, you know, has been caused by economic trends that are important. Just one final thing. This is a sort of one of my obsessions. We were talking earlier about how we just don't get enough arguments about how actually for consumers, if you go greener, you can save money over the medium to long term, right? And I noticed that Rishi Sunak's new slogan for his Tory conference talks about the long term, but he doesn't really want to talk about this aspect of it. But what nobody ever talks about is what economists call externalities. And that is basically the cost to all of us from the damage that global warming does, right? Bits of London were on fire only last year. You know, when people have 
you know, floods as a result of climate change. That is a cost that ultimately falls on all of us, not just on, on the individuals. And we never take any of that into account. It's a really narrow debate, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And um, it's that long term versus short term view again, isn't it? That we're always talking about. I was um, chatting to people on my show yesterday about what they think the priority should be. And there were lots of them saying the priority for them is not climate change. It is paying their bills now. And so they, they were saying they think Rishi's right to roll back on those plans and so it's really interesting about people kind of understanding the difference between the importance of long-term planning and not the, just the short-term game of their life. But that's easy to say if you're not the one who's struggling to pay your bills at the moment. And just to be clear, that tells you something about how possibly government policy should change. Again, looking at Germany, I was really struck that they are giving way bigger subsidies for heat pump installations to people on low incomes. And maybe a scheme like that is something... Although, I mean, we've got an election coming. Maybe after the election, we'll see interesting ideas like that in the UK. Yeah. And also electric cars, they need to sort out the infrastructure. As someone who's got an electric car, I have the genuine fear of range whenever I'm out that I'm not going to find somewhere. Yeah, that sort of anxiety is mad, isn't it? It is, it is. Anyway. Get a bicycle like me. Go on, get a bicycle like me. What? And do like, I live in the north. It's like miles <laughs> between places. <laughs> can do it round London, not round here, love. Let's wrap things up. So we're back to normal next week, aren't we? And we're not expecting any more emergency podcasts between now and then. Uh, thank you as well for sending in your messages. You know, our, our other main episode is obviously, if you want to know all about trust claiming she was right about everything if you want to know about tiktok if you want to know about elon musk if you want to know about surge pricing there's another great episode out there waiting for you and and just a reminder as well if you do want to send anything into us it's uh, restismoney at gmail.com or you can find us on our socials as well but we are very grateful for all the things you're sending to us so thank you that's it from us bye-bye thanks for everything bye